Before we start today, I want to give two brief updates. As I mentioned last week, we're shifting some things around and decided to transition the podcast to every other week. But I have one more interview on simplicity that I wanted to share with you. So next month, we'll resume our discipline of a month schedule and pick up with solitude. Oh, and I wanted to let you know that registration for the book club is officially open. The titles have been thoughtfully selected, and I'm very excited about these books. And as usual, you receive the first book when you sign up, which happens to be the book we talked about a few episodes back, Becoming Dallas Willard. Of course, we'll have the author, Gary Moon, to help guide us through this work. We had a family gathering not long ago, and there were a whole bunch of children here, and they discovered that the blueberries were ripe. And so they all just sort of made their way into the blueberry field, and we're having such a grand time picking and eating blueberries. And a part of me said, well, wait a minute, that's our blueberry crop. And then the other part said, no, that's exactly what our blueberry <laughs> crop is for, is, is, is for the children to be out there enjoying it and just having great fun. The disciplines can look very different in different seasons and context. Simplicity is first a matter of the heart, and so the external expression of it won't always look like being able to put all of our possessions in the car. Today it looks like farming, from a couple who cares about beauty and function, that in hard work and solitude, they find worship and community. There's a place in Oregon, west of Portland, in the Willamette Valley. It's down a dirt road at the base of a small stream. It's a U-Picket farm and an Airbnb. I've stayed there twice, actually quite by accident. I was in town for some work and it was suggested as a place to stay. Honestly, I was sort of uneasy about the whole thing. Something oddly safe about the cold, sterile predictability of a hotel, but what we found nestled among the giant firs was a special place, a place of retreat. On the table was filbert nuts and homemade cookies. You could just go pick the strawberries. I had no idea there were so many different varieties. There's something so simple and peaceful about this place. It's called Fern Creek, and it's run by two established professors and writers, Mark and Lisa McMinn. Notice the tension when they talk about living a simple life. Notice how they don't frame their lives in religious language, but notice how it's all there. My name is Nathan Foster, and welcome to the Renovare Podcast. I don't quite know where to start with you two because... There's just a lot with you. You're both authors, professors, and farmers of sorts, Airbnb owners. Um, how in the world did the two of you get to this point in your life with this uh, beautiful um, country living, simple life? Well, it's a long journey because we're we're also old, and we met at 14. <laughs> so it's a really long journey. 14. 14, we were young. We, we didn't marry at 14. We just met at 14. Um, but Mark was raised on a farm, and I just loved the idea of a farmer's uh, farming life. So I kind of hoped we might end up that way someday. But we 
certainly in our, our writing and always wherever we lived, I was planting some kind of a garden and Mark for a while thought he never wanted to work in the dirt again. But over time, as we came back to Oregon after a long journey in the, we call it our sojourn in the wilderness of the Midwest, Oregon called us back home to a property that just, um, we loved it. We loved working in it and we loved sharing it with people. And so, and I was, I was writing about some of this and Mark was re-engaging the land in really powerful ways. And this is what it's blossomed into. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let me just add one thing. So, so as you mentioned, we've been at, we are we, we are academics, and so in a, a sabbatical, we were able to coordinate sabbaticals so that we had them together. And Lisa, as a sociologist, was studying local food movements as part of her sabbatical research. And here we were on this land and just loving the idea of growing food ourselves. And so it gave us an opportunity, sort of firsthand to think about what local food might look like in our own lives and in the lives of our uh, community. And so it wasn't just research in the, in the textbooks. It really was research in, in, in the fields, learning how to sort of grow things and think about what, a, what local food could, how sustainable food can promote good living in our, in our lives and in our community's lives. Part of this then started out of your sabbaticals and looking at sustainable food sourcing? Is that you know, it, I, I think it had origins before that. I, um, I was raised by a father who was actually theologically very conservative, but had a lot of creation care um, inclinations anyway. And so I have always loved sunsets. I've loved the stars. I've loved watching birds. I've loved seeing things grow. And, and that just came together in greater fullness, both through some of the research I was doing and some of the writing I was doing about contentment as well. And, and, and just that Mark and I together very much enjoyed and were drawn to the wonder of God's creation in multiple ways, both the ordinary ways of hiking and the less ordinary ways of to start a farm. If, if I could just add one thing there, uh, I, you, on your biweekly podcast, Nathan, last, <laughs> last time you had Damon uh, Seacott, and it was really fascinating to hear him talk about, well, he's just a fascinating person. I love that podcast. And as, as we were talking, I was thinking, now, why are, we, why are Lisa and I talking about simplicity? We're nowhere close to being able to sort of pile all our possessions in a car. And we have, it seems like, quite a few, uh, quite a large place, space to live in comparison to that. So I think simplicity, it's, it's always been one, that, uh, one of those disciplines that sort of confounds me, because on one hand, I don't feel like I live very simply, but, but in, the, in the sense that Lisa just described, I think we do, and, and that is that we really try to live close to the earth, to, to experience nature as directly and as immediately as we possibly can. And that's become very, very meaningful to us, and I think it does have a sense of simplicity as, as we're able to do that. That's one of the things I like about the disciplines is that they can look very different in different contexts. But um, yes, I mean, you guys have a, a, a lovely uh, home and a lovely area and there's, you know, um, you can't pile everything in a car. <laughs> um, yet being there, there's a, a real sense of simplicity in the air and in the way things are ordered and, and structured. Um, and, and I wondered if, maybe help me with that. Why am I picking that up? What's that about, it, it being on your property? 
I love that that's what you pick up. People often say it feels like a peaceful place, but I love that your term simplicity in the air. I don't know if it's because you see our solar panels on the roof. or (laughs) (laughs) No. (laughs) Or if... um, or if you see that one of our goals has always been that function and beauty belong together. Yes. And so as we designed the farm, as we leveled and terraced, it was always with what kind of natural elements can we draw in here? How can we make this look uncomplicated, even though what we're doing is actually rather complicated? Mm-hmm. How can we keep function and beauty together? The other thing I might add is the the physicality of how we try to live. I mean, we, um, we, we, we do this work ourselves. We, and I, I certainly wouldn't mean that we couldn't hire things out and not live simply, but, but like I remember, Nathan, last time I ran into you and your father, Richard, um, was actually while I was chopping some wood. We had to thin out some trees in our little forest to, in order to give the space for the oak trees and the maple trees to thrive. So I was down there chopping up a fir tree and, and, and chatting with your father. And, and, and I think maybe the, the physicality of, of being out there chopping our own wood and growing our own food and, and just being in the earth, being close to the earth and, and seeing that as our, um, as our primary home. And I mean, we do have this place in indoors where we spend a lot of time, but, but our primary home feels like it's in the outdoors where we can just enjoy creation and be part of it. And there's a certain simplicity to that being in nature, kind of quiet. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, I, so my daughter, Megan, Anna, Neth and I are actually working on a book right now. And we're sort of looking at some ways that, psychology and faith come together and and we've done this sort of unusual thing of looking at the book of ecclesiastes which is not one that we talk about or write about a lot but 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 here's sort of the conclusion that we've come to with some good help from theologians and so forth about what ecclesiastes ecclesiastes says essentially the take away message is two things one is enjoy the moment you see throughout this book, this refrain to eat, drink, and be merry. Whatever this moment brings, enjoy it. And then second, see it as a gift of God. Those two things together, to enjoy this moment and see it as God's gift. Mm-hmm. And I feel like by being outdoors, by picking strawberries when they're fresh or blueberries or harvesting apples, uh, or we're, next week we're harvesting honey from our bees, I feel like these are the moments that God gives us to look and say, I am grateful and profoundly grateful for this life and for how good it is and how amazing it is to be able to be part of this creation that God has gifted us with. It's a joy for the two of you to care for the land. Is that accurate? Yeah, it um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm glad that that is evident. People see what we do as requiring a lot of work, and it does, but it's it's our recreation in the Amish sort of sense that play and work just <laughs> flow together. And, and it does emerge out of um, really finding God in it and being with God in it. And mm-hmm. it's, yeah, it's laborious. It's, sometimes it's more work than we want to do, but we find great joy in it. I've walked your property a number of times, and every time Dad and I remarked to to each other, 
how do they do this? Like, there is a lot of work that's gone into this. And then, of course, I'm, I always saw you two working. And <laughs> at, at one point, Dad, Dad said to me, they work a lot. And I said, no, no, they're playing. This is just great joy. And it seemed to me that you guys just love to be outside. Yes. And I don't know if you came across the hammock down by the cistern. I did. Did I I laid in it. I hope that was okay. Good. good, Perfect. (laughs) We hope people do. But there are times that Mark and I try to make that a daily part of our discipline too, is that we will go down to the hammock and two people can fit in that hammock. And And Mark almost always falls asleep which is amazing. I don't fall asleep nearly that easily, but there is this wonder of that's part of the work as well. You know, I don't, it is work, but that's part of the process as well. Sometimes we just stop and we just enjoy laying in the hammock. And that's, um, it's a lot of work, but it is a lot of play. I like that. That was how you framed it back to your dad. They're Mm. playing. (laughs) <laughs> and I would, I would also say we're worshiping, you know, it's, it is part of our, our true selves doing, doing what God initially mandated us to do. Go, go enjoy this world. Go keep the garden, go tend it. I, I love those, those phrases and the terms you're using. I would probably even add discovering as another, another term of what we're doing. Uh, we have a well, that, and we're so used to it. We love the water in our well. But Nathan, I noticed that you and your father, when you're here, tend to get bottled water because a lot of people <laughs> tell us that the well, just, the water doesn't taste that good to them. So after you came last time, <laughs> we actually, we have a new discovery now. Um, because, we knew, Mark, because Mark chopped down a tree that ruined the cistern. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, so I chopped down a tree and it fell on a stock tank that that was used to be that this property was used for cattle. And, and so it was, to, anyway, what we discovered is we knew that that stock tank was spring fed, but when we had to rebuild it and we sort of rerouted the water, and then we went and had the water tested, and we discovered that we have spring water that's beautiful, lovely water. And so now we have this option to go down and sort of collect your own spring water and have water that everyone seems to love the taste. And, and that's a new discovery. We've lived here for over a decade, and we sort of have this new discovery. And, and that's what being in the land often allows us to do is discover these new and fun things. Hmm, discover a spring of water. On your land. Mm-hmm. I love it. Okay, so I have um, a new discovery I've made, and I wonder if you could help me with it, because um, I think it might fit a little bit. So when I was in high school, I went to vocational school for carpentry, and um, then took another path, went to college, and, and ended up doing the work I do. But that Strapping on the tool belt and hammering and working with wood, I just miss it, you know, in, in a, through the years. And so I've cleared out my garage, made a little workbench, and and I try every day to get out there, even just for a few minutes, and just cut something or glue something or, you know, I mean, but here's the discovery that I made with it is um, when I go out there, I'm playing and I don't have to finish anything, and it doesn't really matter if I abandon a project halfway through. The point is just to be out there, and maybe I'll clean stuff, maybe I'll sand something, maybe I won't. And and it's this great freedom to do work without feeling like I have to achieve. 
um, which I normally do with with other contexts. So anyway, I just wonder if you two might have a, a thought on that because it it feels like a letting go and a sort of simplicity of work. Do you, Nathan, have the experience of walking into a lumber store and just loving the smell? <laughs> I get very excited. <laughs> I do too. I just love that smell. And I want to touch it. About, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's something about working with with your hands, with wood, with, with well, I suppose any other material too, but just creating is just a phenomenal. It's, it's, it's a joy. Um, I'm not sure. For me, I have a different sort of, a relationship with that though, because I like to finish projects because one of the things that in my professional work as an academic that I rarely get to do is sort of stand back and look and say, Oh, I did that today. Cause yeah. I don't often know what I did today. I know I worked hard and I taught some classes, but what did I actually accomplish? I'm not so sure, but if I can work with wood and I can stand back and I can say, Oh, I love that. That's beautiful. Or there's some flaws, but you know, I have a lot of flaws too, but that's something that was, that happened today and I got to be part of it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I should clarify. I do like finishing and I like to touch and I like to show everybody what I made, Oh, great! (laughs) but also giving myself freedom to not have to finish or not to finish in a certain time. Sure. Sure. It takes me a while. And then to pick up, not to make this about me, but to pick up, that the flaw, like you said, the flaws, that there's always going to be mistakes and living with that a little, that, you know, it still has its function and, and its beauty, even with the mistakes. And I, I would um, answer that in two ways. One is still connected to the land and the other's not. I like working with clay and that often is unfinished for a long time. So I make um, pottery and that's just a marvelous way of of working with dirt that's very different than farming. But the other expression of that for me is cooking. I just love taking this food that we grow and putting it together, not necessarily using recipes and feeling like, oh, what what um, Norman Wiersbe, who's a theologian, talks about God's love made manifest in this food and it's uh, <laughs> God's love is... Um, you know, it's delicious, it's nutritious, and here it is, God's love made physical. And so to be able to do that in the kitchen around food, it's not a chore to me to cook. Sometimes it is, but it is a um, delightful place of creativity, especially when I'm putting together things that I'd never maybe would have thought before might work together. And oh, lo and behold, who knew that peas, oh, what was that? I don't know, it was blueberries that I put in some unusual thing with some vinegar and it was lovely. <laughs> do, do you sense a co-laboring with God, a prayerful exchange in these creative projects? You know, only if I intentionally, it's very easy for me not to be mindful in that way. So I would love to say, yeah, that's that's me. I love for that to be me. I might jump a little more uh, into the affirming camp on that question because I, because I do a lot of the sort of weed control. We we grow organically, so and I I understand now why organic food costs so much because you have to do all the weed control manually. So I'm out long t- periods of time in the silence, um, pulling weeds and doing the things that that you do to cultivate food. And I find that a deeply spiritual experience for me, the, um, the, the quiet of being alone mm-hmm. and 
sort of experiencing God in that silence is very, very meaningful to me. You know, and if I were to come back to just another way that that was true for me is when we're planting transplants. And I'm put, and I remember when putting them in the ground and just blessing each one as I did. Mm-hmm. You know, may you grow in the love of God. And, and that, that felt very sacramental, you know. There, there is a sense that the work that you two have, whether that's going to be out, outdoors or in cooking, it kind of gives spaces of solitude are naturally kind of worked yeah. into that. Is that, mm-hmm. is that accurate then? Yes, absolutely. Solitude's part of it. I, um, I had another thought on cooking, but do you have a thought first, Lisa, on solitude before? I I, I'm, I'm very comfortable with silence. I love silence. I am very uncomfortable with crowds and loud loudness. And so it, I, I don't know how much of that was hardwired, but it made me just naturally a really good Quaker. I am. <laughs> um, and, and a pretty, pretty drawn to mystics. I, mm-hmm. And all of that sense of finding God in the silence and sitting in silence, which is a practice that I do as well. So it's, there is something very precious and sacred about relinquishing my need to either be filling the space in my head and try to just sit in a, a kind of open silence, but also finding that so easily when we're outside working either side by side in silence or working independently on different parts of Fern Creek. Yeah, when you were talking a minute ago about planting the seedlings and, and sort of blessing them as you plant them, there's something that reminded me a lot of St. Francis in terms of the way you described that, you know, just blessing creation. The, the cooking thing I was going to get back to is, so yesterday morning we had this amazing breakfast. We had uh, eggs from our chickens and a bunch of vegetables. I don't know. We called it a vegetable medley, all of them. This is the time of year where we can harvest so many different foods. And we had some blueberries from the blueberry field. So it was just all sort of homegrown stuff that we – so we had these beautiful plates of breakfast yesterday. And then I pull out my iPhone and take a picture of it. And it strikes me as there is the paradox I was trying to say about simplicity. I, <laughs> on one hand, I feel like I have this direct connection to nature and there's something really simple about it. And yet I have my iPhone right there ready to take the picture of it too, you know, post it on some social media or whatever. So I don't feel like I have the simplicity thing completely worked out in terms of how I live. But that part of it, living close to the earth, I really really do love that. The other part that we haven't talked about yet, maybe you'll take us there, is that this isn't, this is food we're growing for our community as well. Yes, yes. So what we have shifted to now from a community-supported agriculture where we had up to 30 families that would come just pick up a crate of food that we harvested with apprentices that would live in that space that's now Airbnb space. And there's something to be said. We should come back and talk about our apprentices as well. But to have them come out with their children and their children would love this place and we were their farmers. And I loved being Farmer Lisa, which gave me as much joy as Dr. (laughs) McMahon ever did. (laughs) <laughs> and having having them pick up a cucumber and just eat a cucumber like it was a lollipop, you know, there's seeing that happen, seeing those families and especially those children really take ownership of this place was was just that that nurtured us as well. That very much nurtured what we had hoped in this place. And we've we've now made a you pick fruit. And, and yet still families will come out and they'll bring their children. And part of what they want is for children to learn this is where food comes from. 
Yeah, that is a great joy. We love hearing laughter on Fern Creek. Fern Creek is where we call this little place we live. And we love hearing laughter, especially children's laughter. Mm-hmm. I like to feed the chickens and go check on Marco and Polo, which are the fish in the cistern. We had a family gathering not long ago, and there were a whole bunch of children here, and they discovered that the blueberries were ripe. And so they all just sort of made their way into the blueberry field and were having such a grand time picking and eating blueberries. And a part of me said, well, wait a minute, that's our blueberry crop. And then the other part said, no, that's exactly what our blueberry <laughs> crop is for, is, is, is for the children to be out there enjoying it and just having great fun. Yeah, yeah. I love the tension of that, right? Yeah. We, we never fully escape some of that. Right. Uh, with the, now, now, here's the interesting thing to me, though, is that we could be having this conversation entirely different, where you two are saying to me, Right. We both got full-time jobs. We're helping with our grandkids and the community is, you know, coming for this just constant work and hurry and scurry. Why is it completely different at Fern Creek? Well, I no longer do have a full-time job. I after that sabbatical and doing our CSA, I I just loved the life and the openness of that. So I gave George Fox the year I owed them and stopped teaching. And so I have had more of the open space to pour into this. I, I do think Mark could be having that conversation because he has continued to work full time and he has summers off, but that means he's really pushing pretty hard. For me, there's a, a seasonal nature to that. And, and I think that's probably true in all sorts of metaphoric ways in our lives too, that all these, all these things are seasonal. But, but if you talk, if you ask me that question in the spring and in March or April, when academic life is busy and the, the crops all need to be, all the fields need to be tilled and the crops need to be planted, I might feel way more frantic than I do having that conversation on the first, you know, the first part of August and as we approach summer. Because now, you know, we have the joy of harvest and the weeds are pretty much controlled. We use drip irrigation, so we don't have a lot of weeds to control at this point in the year. And Life looks pretty grand, so it probably you probably just find a kind of seasonal flow to how we experience it. You're catching it at a really good time right now. <laughs> good, good. Now, here's the piece: is that there's something about the way you two have chosen to live your life that is very romantic, and um, I mean, I'm sure for many people here, and they're going, you know, that sounds really great, um, but impossible. I'm wondering if there's a certain, and not that everyone should become organic farmers, but, you know, pursuing living well in, in the way that God is uh, uh, inviting us into. Tell me about the intentionality to get to where you're at at this place. I'm, I'm sure this didn't happen by accident. Or did it? Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it did to some extent. We, we, uh, we, when we moved back to Oregon from Illinois, we um, spent the first year building the house. We did a lot of that ourselves and found that we really enjoyed the sort of physical nature of that. And then we, we just budgeted poorly this project, and we just didn't have any money left to help, have anyone help us with landscaping. So we had to do all that ourselves. And, and we discovered I guess as Lisa said earlier she's always known how much she loves the outdoors but but when I left the farm at age 18 I thought I was never going to work in the dirt again I I was just done with that but I enjoyed I enjoyed it I when I when we started doing our own landscaping I found myself finding and finding life again outdoors that I just had never quite experienced 
So then, you know, one thing sort of led to another. We started growing food for ourselves and got bigger. And so, so it, it was sort of accidental. But, but it, I, I really appreciate the tone of the question because not everyone has those sorts of opportunities. But I think if, if the goal is to try to sort of witness the miracle of nature, everyone has that possibility. You know, you're seeing, we're seeing more and more really cool stuff happening in cities with, with rooftop gardens and people can plant a tomato plant on the, on the balcony and, and, and observe the sort of the miracle of fresh tomatoes in August. I mean, there are these ways to get in touch with this natural beauty that, that, that God provides us with that, that don't require property or um, own, home ownership or, or those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. I was I was going to go that direction too. That not everyone can do this, and if it was intentional, if the seed for this was being planted a long time ago, it was just wherever we were, we figured out how can I have a salsa garden, plant a tomato and some herbs, and how can I do what I can do with the little apartment space that we have on the patio, and then from that, just learn, you know. It's amazing how many people in the city decide they want to keep bees and they're managing to do that or chickens that figuring out what is the one thing that would be life giving that I can do because this huge thing that Mark and I fell into did feel less intentional, more accidental, but there, but there's always some pieces. And then of course we couldn't do what we were doing if we didn't have the families that couldn't do it themselves who come out here and support us because they were buying our produce and they were giving us the venue for making this a place that fed our community. We needed a community to feed. So part of it is just to be one of those people that's join a, join a CSA, go you picking with your kids. There, there are so many ways we can think about this as a community that is making this happen in our community, rather than I have to be the one that actually is on the farm making it happen. But I do realize that Mark and our life sounds really idyllic, and I, I appreciate what he said this time of year, especially it's idyllic for uh, this season. And there is a lot of hard labor, but if it's not something you enjoy, don't make yourself feel like you have to do it. I, some people would think that hoeing the way Mark does, I mean, he is a Iron Man when it comes to his hoeing capacity. Our apprentices look at him and just think, how is it that he can just do that? So uh, consistently and not be grumbling about it. <laughs> if that's not, not everyone is called to that sort of expression of care for the land or connection to it. Mm-hmm. We find what, 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 what is my expression of the land going to look like? My care of the land, what is that going to look like? Mm-hmm. I really like how participating in creation has led to community uh, building. Uh, Farmer Lisa you mentioned about the interns. Could could you share with them what that's looked like? So we had uh, used that space that's now our Airbnb space and had live-in apprentices for three different years. We had others that didn't live with us on other years, but for three different years, we had three different pairs. And two of them were uh, married couples and one was a couple college students. That was such a especially the married couples, because what we didn't really anticipate was that we were also walking along in their young marriages with them. And they were seeing what it looks like for a husband and a wife to work together, to live together, to cook together, to can and preserve food. We had one woman who I wasn't sure when we interviewed her whether or not she would be an ideal candidate because I could tell she didn't really like working outside. 
but she said, oh, but I want to join that choir. I want, you know, give me a chance. I, I, I want, I want a chance. And we gave her a chance. And she was this, she would harvest a tomato and hold it up to her nose and inhale it and just go, hmm, you know, and she just, <laughs> it was so fun to see this light for her turn on that we follow her now they've moved on they their parents now but i know that this was a very formative time for them formative both for their relationship but their own connection to land and their own connection to how community can then be an expression to people that are coming to this place to collect food that you grew for them and it just energized us to have these apprentices that would their youthful enthusiasm kept us going when we needed that extra shot of enthusiasm. I want to close with the story quickly, if I can. You're, you know, you're talking about growing food and then cooking and such. And there was a retreat center that I used to go to in Three Rivers, Michigan. And, and uh, meals were had in silence. And and it was you you would like it because a lot of the food was prepared there locally and and it was very thoughtful and very simple, um, uh, kind of a Mennonite community. Here's what they do though: they bring the food out and it's all in silence. And these the only words said was this: "Food is God's love made edible." Mm. And then he'd leave, and we would you know I'd dine with. Nuns I didn't know <laughs> in oh. silence, but um, any rate, remind me of the quote you similar to what you'd mentioned, Lisa, and uh, yeah. a great way to think about growing a salsa garden on the rooftop or having something as as elaborate as you guys do is just a way to participate in God's love made edible, huh? Yes, absolutely. Well, there you have it. I suspect Fern Creek stays fairly booked up, but you might want to check it out. I should also note that both Mark and Lisa have written a number of books. One of Lisa's recent works is titled To the Table, A Spirituality of Food, Farming, and Community. Mark has written a number of titles on Christian counseling, and they collaborated on a piece together titled Dirt and the Good Life. Stories from Fern Creek. As always, thanks for listening. Have a great week.